Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur Media and Yelp. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali Barbecue Media in life and in the restaurant business as well as the content creator business, we learn through lessons and stories. We are so grateful for Toast, the primary sponsor of this show. They are our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurant, Cali Barbecue. They believe in this show. And now we are so excited to bring Kelly Senye. Kelly Senye is the CEO and founder of Just a Taste. You can find her at Just a Taste. Her website has had over 100 million views since its inception in 2008. She has 1.6 million fans on Facebook, Instagram, 280,000, Pinterest, 324,000, TikTok, another 45,000, YouTube, another 50,000. She is a mom to three boys, soon to another girl. She's a professionally trained chef. She's an entrepreneur. She's an on-camera host. She is the author of The Secret Ingredient, which came out in 2021. She is also the author of Food Blogging for Dummies, which came out in 2012. Justataste.com is visited by millions of visitors every month all over the globe. Just a Taste also has a podcast. She regularly appears on E! Food Network Kitchen, The Rachel Ray Show, Hallmark Channel, and one of the most important stats, one of my personal favorites, is that she went to the Bishop School in La Jolla. She graduated from there. That is the high school that we both went to in La Jolla. Yet this is the first time that we've had a conversation. And that's crazy because it is a small school. So Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh my gosh, what an intro. I'd like to bring you with me everywhere I go. <laughs> well, so it's for, for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while, we're very excited. This is something very cool for us. And I'm going to ask you a random question. It's our favorite random question. But where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? Oh, my gosh. Um, does, can it be a is restaurant an option? Sure. It's a venue. Okay. That counts as a venue. Okay, great. So in Cabo San Lucas, there is a restaurant called seared and it is spectacular and is one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, just we have so many happy memories. I mean, being in Southern California, I live, I'm in San Diego. Um, I would say that off the top of my head, number one. Beautiful. So seared. How many does seared sit? How many do you think we can sit there? Oh my gosh. Over a hundred. Okay. Easily. Over a hundred. If you ask a restaurant owner, it's always different than what the yeah. capacity is of their <laughs> restaurant. If you're having a party, that's a different number. So we're going to go to seared and we're going to have this incredible hospitality event where all the best people on the globe, literally the people that care the most, learn the most, grind the most, are consistent the most. We're going to bring them to seared and we're going to introduce you. Except usually what I do is a two minute drill to let the guests say, who you are and what you do. Since I've already laid it out, I want you to tell us who is Kelly in the next 14 years. Because for the last 14 years, you built what I just read for everybody, what everyone got to listen to, what everyone's watching. In the next 14 years, who is Kelly and what is just a taste? I love two, this question. Two-minute two drill. Okay, I love this question. First off, um, as I always say to people, it has taken me 14 years to become a success overnight. This has not been like a quick, instantaneous viral hit here, viral hit there. We have had those, which is great. But 14 years of just grinding, literally starting at the absolute bottom and working my way up to where I am. Um, I love the idea of looking forward. Um, for better or for worse, I would say I'm constantly like two steps ahead. My dad, who's one of my biggest mentors in my life, when 
of his biggest life lessons is always be two steps ahead, not one step, two steps ahead. So um, I talk about this all the time with my team. We have to constantly be evolving. We have to be trying new things. Some things will be successful. Some things won't. But in the media world, in the digital world, specifically with food, if you aren't evolving and trying new things and constantly pushing the forefront, especially when it comes to video content, you're going the way of the dinosaurs. So I'd like to think that in 14 years, I'm still running just to taste. It's still a worldwide, you know, heavily trafficked website with a very um, endearing following that's super engaged. Um, I'm working on a product concept right now that's also in the food space. So in my mind, I'm one of those like dream it to believe it sort of yep. things. I see it on the store shelves in Whole Foods and Target and all over. So we're working on that right now. Um, maybe I do another book. I don't know who knows what the future holds, but just keep on evolving and changing and trying new things because this industry changes so fast, as you know. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I mean, your experience, what we talk about, the principles that we teach, um, the guests that we've had on, it's never been a more exciting time to think about the food economy, to think about the creator economy, understanding that as restaurant owners, we used to just open up a brick and mortar business, hope that we made an incredible recipe, an incredible dish, had incredible hospitality and people would come. Well, now what we can do because of the internet, because of the smartphone, because of the apps, because of video, like you said, because of blogging, because of websites, is that we can have different streams of income. Can you bring us back to 2008 when this was just a hobby and how did you professionalize the steps to make it a full-time job? That's definitely the number one question I think I get. I think that there's a misconception that food blogging has gotten a pretty bad rap over the years because it's <laughs> People who just are going for, you know, a free meal. Like I hate yep. when people call me a food blogger. It like makes me cringe um, <laughs> because that's what I started as. I was, I'm like a grandma in this space. So back in 2008, <laughs> I was in grad school, um, in journalism grad school at Columbia. I was living in New, hard in New York city. And um, my beat when I was at Columbia was Hugs Point in the South Bronx. So I was going through the full you know, curriculum of becoming a hard news reporter with the plan of going into politics. Um, you know, it was like, that's what I was training to become as a political reporter. Wow. And um, it got to the point where a lot of the stories that I was reporting and the people I was interviewing, it was having an emotional toll on me. When you're constantly on this mind frame of if it bleeds, it leads, like psychologically, it can really weigh on you. And so I wanted to start reporting on things that had much better, like feel good element to them. And that's what ultimately led me to food is because wow. anybody can talk about food. Anybody can cook. Anybody can, you know, enjoy a meal together. You don't even have to speak the same language, Sean. And I could sit down with somebody from across the world and enjoy a delicious meal. And just through facial expressions and, you know, the way we interact, yeah. you can relate to somebody. And that's what I love about food. It is the universal tie together of everyone, no matter the language, no matter the location, it brings everybody together. So back in 2008, food blogs were just starting. We had Deb from Smitten Kitchen, Elise from Simply Recipes, all these like OG women who were just starting sites, David Lee from Leeds Culinaria, people who I now count, you know, is good friends and colleagues who have been in this grind with me for the last 14 years. And so my mom, Noni, was my original inspiration. She's an incredible self-taught home cook. My dad is like the ultimate entrepreneur. So with the two of them next to me, it was kind of like just sort of giving me bumper lanes and really giving me the confidence and 
the kind of the push to like go the entrepreneurial route. It was very scary at the time. I ended up working, you know, a corporate job at Condé Nast for years. And then finally I was getting the traffic reports for gourmet.com coming across my desk every month. And just a taste, which I was just running as a hobby was getting more traffic than gourmet.com. And that was kind of the like light bulb moment. You know, they always say like, there's like a single moment when things just click. And I was like, why, why am I not pursuing this 110% on my own full time? So um, that's what started it all back in 2008. And it has been a wild ride as every entrepreneur knows, as every restaurant owner knows, there are extreme highs and there are incredibly dark lows and you ride them all. And that's why you learn from it. It's so cliche, but it's true. You got to know the valleys and know the peaks and, you know, appreciate them both. So I'd love for you to talk about, it's funny that you say that blogs have a bad, bad rap. And we run into that a lot. And what we try to teach people is we're, we're telling our story. You know, the most important part is that you remove the logo. So people have a a preconception of what TikTok is or what a blog is, or, you know, what a podcast is. All it is, is audio storytelling. If there's a video component, then that's great for YouTube. And we encourage people to try to be, to try all those different platforms, lean into what you do well first, you know, either it's written word or it's images or it's audio or it's video. Video obviously is what the internet wants now here in 2022. For you, when, when, you started with the blog and you evolved into the food photography. When you wrote that first book, the, the, I'm so fascinated because it's, it's amazing that you wrote this in 2012, the food blogging for dummies. Can you tell, take us through that experience of, of where the internet was and where you were, and then now looking at it a decade later? Absolutely. I think there there was this Epicurean explosion that happened, I would say around 2010, when celebrity chefs really started kind of coming on the scene. I don't know, like if you remember before that, you know, we had, um, you know, we had the the classics, the Giadas, the Inas and everything, but it wasn't the mainstream celebrity culture that being a chef is today. Um, And that somebody with um, a incredible presence on TikTok is suddenly, you know, a worldwide name in the food space. So um, writing food blogging for dummies was a really interesting experience. I was approached by the publisher, Wiley Publishing. Um, I'm a huge advocate for LinkedIn. I just have to throw this out there. You and I have connected a bunch. Yes, we've connected on LinkedIn. Like, but you you became top of mind. Once I see you posting on LinkedIn, I go, I have to get Kelly on the show. But that's why I love the power of LinkedIn. (laughs) Exactly. And I think it's so underused. I have gotten like several major breaks in my career from LinkedIn. So this is not sponsored by LinkedIn. I'm just saying it's a living, breathing resume. So um, I think Wiley Publishing at the time who published the For Dummy series um, saw my profile on LinkedIn. They're like, you know, we haven't seen somebody with a journalism slash writing background. In addition, I did go to culinary school in New York at the Institute of Culinary Education. So I I am professionally trained um, in the culinary space also they're like we've never seen somebody that's that has them both and so um, I wrote a big proposal I remember thinking there's no way I'm going to get it they'll pick someone (laughs) older more experienced and then I had a phone call you got the book um, and it was quite the experience writing that I loved it it was amazing and I remember um, I don't know if you're familiar with Eater at all but it's like absolutely okay so I remember like the night before the book came out and just like praying Eater please don't skewer me for this book (laughs) (laughs) Please, Please don't literally eat me alive yeah. for 
writing food blogging for dummies because you know they're notorious for like just going at people for sure. i remember just thinking like if we could just get past eater without like a scathing review like it'll be fine yeah. and lo and behold they did a cover page story on like can you believe there's a food blogging for dummies and i was like deep breaths like reading through this article, like God, waiting yeah it was like the top 10 lines from food blogging for dummies ultimately it was like a nice article but um but that's just where the space was at i think there wasn't really like a quote bible of what food blogging was um it was people who love to cook who love to eat and to your point wanted to share their stories yeah. and i think that there's been so much blowback in the last several years i'd say even the last five years sean because there's this perception that like food bloggers write these very long stories and it's like, just give me the recipe. I just want, you know, the actual content that I'm here for. But what people don't understand is like that recipe comes with a story, like for many reasons. And there are so many sites you can go to that don't have those stories associated with them. But I think that's what identifies each, um, you know, blog specifically like that personality. So, um, so I think that's why there's kind of like a negative connotation behind it is people don't like reading these pages upon pages of background. Um, they're like, just give me the recipe because our attention span this day and age is so short yes. that they just, they need to come get what they're looking for and move on with their lives. So I, I saw somewhere on some piece of content that you are an analytics aficionado. You're a number. Oh, I'm the nut. biggest nerd. I am the Tell me why. Share, <laughs> share with the world why that is so okay. important. So, Sean, maybe this started from bishops. Maybe this is our high school days. <laughs> this is bishops' fault. Maybe this is. I'm okay with throwing bishops like, under the bus. Bishops, no, no, it's in a positive it's way. It's very positive. It, true. Like, There's a lot of things that I learned at bishops that I never learned at no, in college, university, like, or anywhere else. Yes. It got me. This is going to sound so nerdy, but it like made me obsessed with math. I don't know yeah. why. To the point where at Northwestern, where I went to college, I was a math major for a hot second, a hot second. Then I got into some those advanced classes and I was like no way no how but you know I nailed that intro to math at Northwestern like all that but it just when you switch from doing this as a hobby to a business yes numbers data analytics knowing who your demographic is your audience where they're coming from what pages they're landing on why they're leaving you know the time they spend on the site the ad experience that they have is everything. If you want to just do this for fun and um, people think, oh, she just like posts what she cooks for dinner that night. If I told you like the editorial calendar and the strategy that we run, everything is so heavily researched based on SEO, food trends, what we know is coming to market, what we see spiking from previous years and how we can kind of capitalize on that same time frame from the previous year, like going into the next year. I mean, everything is so calculated and strategic and it has to be that way when you turn this from a hobby into a business. Otherwise, if you're not paying attention to who your audience is, where they're coming from, why they're coming, you're just doing this for yourself, which is fine. That's not a bad thing, but don't expect to make money when you do that. It's, it's so fascinating to hear you say that. And I hope the audience is really taking it in because, you know, the first guest that we had on the show was Sam, the cooking guy, who's become a mentor to me. He's here in San Diego. Yeah, he spent local. so much time on local TV, but you know, one of his stories is seven years building a YouTube channel with 30,000 followers, which is a lot of followers, but nowhere near the 3 million that he has now. And it all came back to analytics. It came back to him and his son going through and looking at the analytics and saying, who is our demographic? You know, our demographics, an 18 year old male in between 35 year old male, why are we making a salmon salad? 
Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's so and it's, 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 it's so simple yet, you know, we, we pass by that and we do that in the restaurant business as well. And I think that's an unsexy part of this business, right? A lot of people like to think that, oh, you're cooking, you're in the kitchen, you're taking photos, you're appearing on TV. Oh my gosh, this looks like so much fun. It is a ton of fun, but that's probably 10% of what I do yep. in terms of like my overall business, all that forward facing stuff, even the content that people see, the amount of time and research and production that goes into a single post on the site or a single video. I mean, it, it's so heavily researched. It's so heavily, um, you know, we pour through analytics looking, why are certain things starting to trend? Are there anomalies within the way our traffic is, um, you know, trending for the year? How has COVID and the pandemic impacted the way people are cooking at home. And I think because I'm a mom, I've got three little ones, like you mentioned, fourth one is arriving, hopefully not during this podcast, but any day. Hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> not. At least we'll have a breaking story. Uh, we'll, we'll push the exactly. podcast out early. <laughs> exactly. But I think this is my natural everyday life is cooking for my big family. And so yeah. I have to think, okay, I go to the grocery store when, the, when quarantine started, I couldn't find yeast anywhere. I don't know if you remember this, there was like a yep. worldwide like yeast shortage. So this is one example I always give. I was talking to our team and I said, let's do a no yeast bread recipe. People literally cannot find bread right now. There's no yeast. There's uh, We're having trouble finding just pantry basics like around San Diego County. Like you go to the grocery store, the shelves are bare. So I came up with a recipe that was basically based off of a, a soda bread recipe that used baking soda as a leavener to create a really light fluffy bread. And we made like six different flavors. That thing took off. I mean, we could sit on the site and watch Amazing. and it was just like skyrocketing because you have to give the audience what they need. Yep. You're doing this as a business person rather than as a hobby. And again, it's great to start a food site as a hobby. It's fun. You know, you can chronicle your family's recipes, your, your dining out experience, restaurant reviews, all of that. That's great. But if you're doing this from like a serve the people standpoint, you've got to know and be in tune with what they want, not what you want to give them. Can you give us a, an idea of your own personal social media journey? You know, your own, because I, I mean, I share the story. I made fun of my, my business partner who I opened up the restaurant. Sorry, Corey. I always ring, ring him in and throw him under the bus, but I, I made fun of him in 2008 when we opened up our barbecue business for being on Facebook. You know, I thought he was just on there looking for girls. And I was like, what are you doing? We, we need to run our business until we couldn't get people into our business when I'm like, aha light bulb goes off. Maybe I should use this platform and start to tell people about our specials and what we're doing in the community. What about for you? Absolutely. I think social media is everything. And if you don't have a presence on every single platform, you are missing a massive opportunity. And the one thing I will say is every social media platform is different. The yep. audience is different for the same brand, for just a taste, our Facebook audience is not the same demographic as our TikTok audience, as our Instagram audience. So you will see similar content across all of our platforms, but it is tweaked so heavily, whether it's from a language perspective, the type of words we use, we write shorter and more colloquial on TikTok. We write more informative on Facebook because we know who the audience is. Facebook skews a little bit older. Obviously, TikTok skews much younger. So we can get away with slang and that sort of thing on TikTok, whereas the Facebook audiences be like, you know, totally out of touch with what yep. that is. Um, and then for the site, it's just an overall general, we write, I, I write very directly, cleanly, concisely. I always get 
the comment that the recipes are so easy to follow and they're so they're so well tested. I mean, I think this is having gone to culinary school. I know that people are spending money and time to make my recipes. They have to be so heavily tested when I did my book. It was the exact same thing. I had cross testers across the country, not professional chefs, but home awesome. cooks that tested every single one of the recipes. I mean, they were tested dozens of times to see where would the average home cook stumble if they were given this recipe and said, go, what are they not understanding in it? What is not super clear? So, um, and social media as a part of that, I mean, it's everything. That is how you're gonna gain your initial reader. And then the site, if that's your goal to drive people to a site or to buy a book or a product, whatever it is, you have to make them wanna be a loyal long-term follower. And you keep that conversation going through online social communities that we, you know, that you build. Well, I, what I love about your journey is that you started, even though it was a hobby, you started with a platform that would allow you to become an e-commerce company, allow you to sell the products like your book, allow you to drive people from these different social platforms to a place where you can build community, where you can build an email list so that if an algorithm changes with Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or something falls off, you've built that community of people that says, I'm Kelly, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I buy into what you're doing. You're helping me with my family. I'm a busy mom or I'm a busy dad. I love the recipes. Please give me more. And that's part of building this community. Can you, can you talk about how, how that started and how it's yeah. evolved? You hit the nail on the head. Newsletters and getting those email subscribers, I would say is more important than building a social media community for the exact reason that you just mentioned. Instagram can feel like an algorithm change one day. And if you're using that link in your bio to drive 80% of your traffic to your site where you're selling a product or you have ads being displayed to make revenue, you're, you're out of luck. That's on them. They, they make one change and you're done. The only control you can have in the online industry is to collect those email addresses and have very honest, um, direct conversations with your readers through that. So we send out a weekly newsletter to about 70,000 people. We put our top trending recipes. It's all free, by the way. We don't charge for anything on the site. We run ads as part of our pay model, but there is no, you don't have to buy into anything. So you get a weekly newsletter that shows like the trending recipes for the week, the new recipes, um, any sort of important information, or if we have a giveaway or anything like that. And having that direct line of communication where I don't have a third party, a middleman in the in between yep. telling me, well, oh, the algorithm changed. So now this is going to tank. Like that is so incredibly, incredibly important, more so than social without a doubt. And now a quick break from our show, Restaurant Influencers, to talk about our newest sponsor, Pop Menu. Restaurants have been hit hard over the last few years, which means restaurant owners and staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be very demanding. This is why we recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines. Like, can I make a reservation? Where are you located? Do you still have brisket? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guest hears, which we recommend is your voice, and even send follow-up messages via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24 seven 365 days out of the year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, our listeners get $100 off your first month. 
plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash influencers. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about PopMenu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com slash influencers. And now back to the show. So if you were starting your business again today without a team, how, how would you get to the point where you build a team? Because a lot of people, you know, one of the things, the struggles that I see with restaurants and people in the hospitality space is social media is so difficult because we want to assign it to one person and say, this is your job. And we all know that every, if you're going to be successful on TikTok, if you're going to be successful on Twitter, if you're going to be, have a successful mobile first website. That's an e-commerce platform. That's informational that has recipe. Like there are so many different moving parts to having this digital robust lively, because it's a digital heartbeat of who you are, who your brand is, and it has to get updated. Otherwise people are going to go find somewhere else, you know, how would you start to build a team if you started today from zero? And I will say, I should clarify what my team is because I always laugh about this. It's myself and one other person. <laughs> I'm not joking, Sean. Her name is Libby. You're amazing. That's she incredible. Is my, she is my work wife and we have been together for seven years and Libby will listen to this and Libby, you know how much I love you. And she, we share a brain seven years yes. into Yes. It's just, she is my epitome of like the ultimate marketing guru. She, I always say, if I get hit by a bus, the site goes to Libby. Like, yep. and you will not skip a beat. You will not even know I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so important to invest in quality people like that because, yes, I started by myself. And for the first six or seven years, it was just me. Yep. And I had no clue what I was doing. And I remember the first time I made like $800 in one month on ad revenue. And I was like, Dang, girl! <laughs> I Call think I just paid a twenty third of my rent in New York City. <laughs> like this is amazing. I might have like a chance here. And uh, I remember just thinking, like, well, if I could just get to a thousand, if I could just get to like fifteen hundred, imagine if I made two thousand dollars a month. That would be amazing. So I think. I always hope it like pick one platform. I think the spreading yourself too thin applies very much. So, especially when you're starting from scratch, So like you get the website up, I would say pick one platform today. If we were doing this nowadays, I would say choose Instagram or TikTok yep. because it's just the platform du jour. It's what people want right now. It's where yep. advertisers are. It's where sponsors are. So I would say pick one of those two, build yourself to a really significant place there. And then once you feel good about that, then jump on Facebook. Don't even consider... Twitter, just my personal opinion. Yep. Um, and, and Pinterest for us is huge. We get over 19 million impressions a month off of it's Pinterest. Insane. It's unbelievable. Just, it's nuts, but that's because of the food photography, right? Yep. So like I trained myself to be a good photographer because I knew visuals when it comes to food are so important, um, but it takes time. And it, that's so annoying to hear from somebody who's 14 years in, but yep. there is no like get rich quick situation, just like every other industry. It takes time to build a loyal following. Yes, you can become a success overnight because virality is a thing and it will happen, but it's like, how long-term do you then see this? It goes back to your, your first or second question in the interview like yeah. where do you see yourself in 14 years i pray doing the same thing you know that i'm doing now because we're so slow and steady in taking baby steps with everything that we do i love that that's uh, something that we say often we we build our our media business the same way we build our barbecue business and that's low and slow i mean it's yep. 
it, it's the unfortunate answer that people don't want to hear. No, nobody wants to hear it. No one wants to hear the answer, the answer to the test. Yes, exactly. And consistency. So if you try out a new social strategy, I think this is the number one pitfall for people in the digital space is they try out a new social strategy, whether it's like, all right, I'm going to make a new like lunchtime series, or we're going to run a series of recipes just featuring coconut milk or something. They don't give it long enough to collect yeah. enough data to understand if it's successful or not, whether it's from, you know, the, um, the type of platform that it's on, whether it's video, whether it's the length of the video, which is like the number one discussion in the social space. Now, Instagram's increasing reels to 90 seconds. Yes. I mean, these are the types of numbers and the data that we are so on top of, because you have to be, you have to know yeah. If the algorithm is pushing a 90 second video, but our sweet spot is 47 to 50 seconds, do we need to start considering pushing that one minute mark? Or is that just something Instagram is doing because it benefits them in some way? Correct. So um, just understanding like how all of those things work, but being so consistent and giving each new strategy time to really see if it's going to play out in the, in the marketplace. So, you know, I, the, the Bishop school means a lot to me because it was, it was my grandfather. It was my grandfather was the one that raised me. I never met my dad and he made sure that I had an education. I know that your, your grandmother is someone that's very special to you. Can you, can you share a little bit about, about why, why she's so special in, in yes. everything that you do and that you continue to do? Yes, absolutely. So my grandmother was the, the star. It's actually my great grandmother, Mamu. Um, great grandmother. Great grandmother. Mamu. She was just like the ultimate home. I mean, Back in the day, she, you know, jams and um, she had this thing with like C's candy where every day she would eat two chocolate turtles and like, you know, the like caramel with the nuts and all of that. And um, she, my grandmother, who I called grandma, um, she kind of always joked that, it, that the culinary inspiration kind of skipped a generation. So then it went to my mom, Noni, who is like, Sean, I mean, she's legendary. She, I tell this story that when I was at Bishops, I played a lot of sports. So I was on the field hockey team and she was driving the carpool to a field hockey game one day and we were in our red suburban and I will never forget it and I was in the back with four of my friends and we pull up to a red light and all of a sudden my mom Noni passes around a tray of hot apple turnovers at a red light she has a <laughs> container of vanilla bean ice cream in an ice bucket scoops a thing of ice. this is a pre-game snack mind pre -game you we didn't, snack. We didn't win that game in case yeah. that's not <laughs> That's I guess awesome. that's not apparent. Scoops the ice cream on a thing, hands us a fork, and passes these five plates back. And I remember to be like, who is this woman? <laughs> like, she's unbelievable. But that's just one example. I mean, every night it was something different on the dinner table. And she just loves to cook. And so I was in the kitchen with her from age two onward. So I think I just had this inherent love of cooking. And once I got to Columbia and realized, like, wow, this political reporting is, like, pretty dang heavy. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this emotionally for the next 30 years. Um, it was just kind of like a natural thing. That's why I ended up going to culinary school and working at Food Network and Condé Nast and just trying to get as much information and, and knowledge about this industry as possible. And then kind of putting the media spin on all of it. So, but my grandma was always at the heart of all of it. And um, she, she was just incredible. And, and then of course, my mom, just the ultimate influence and always telling me, she's like, I'm living vicariously through you. Like, this is the career I would have had 50 years ago. Like, awesome. I wish this existed back then. So it's the support for my parents has been huge. So I love to talk about support and it's something that we, we talk about rejection and we talk about the things that are difficult for people to talk about. It's always easy to see all the success that you have, you know, all these national television shows, the, the cookbooks and all the content and everyone's like, what an incredible life you have. 
there were times I don't know, but I'm guessing there were times just like we had times opening up our restaurant where we struggled and people told us we were going to fail and they laughed yep. at us and they laughed at us for being a barbecue media company. And what do you think you're doing podcasting? What are you doing all these things? Can you bring us back to a story about, you know, where you, where it was a dark time and how you got through it? Absolutely. I wouldn't even say it's just a story. I think it, it's a pattern of things that have happened to me that I have now 14 years in noticed the same type of people or the same situation that obviously I'm so much more adept at handling now, yeah. but um, people I think doubted me and almost laughed is not the right word, but kind of like sneered at the thought of me coming out of this journalism school and going into food. Like it was a joke. Like you just paid all this money yep. for this incredible master's degree in television. Why are you not off, you know, reporting and the, the hard hitting news and all of this, because that's not what my passion was. And you cannot fake that. Like life, I'm a big believer that like life is too short to be like not doing what you're passionate about. And so I had to take that risk. And I think people thought I was nuts and I, no things were commented. I was, you know, told it wasn't a good idea um, to pursue this career, to go down the food route. It wasn't, you know, what the prestige of being a political reporter and going into hard news and all this. It was fluffy. It was light. It was like a joke almost to yeah. everyone. But um, not going to lie, like I've been employed for 14 years now, either through companies or myself, when a lot of people like have not. I mean, you have yeah. to be willing to take that risk and to like shut out the noise um, and, and know that like if you're going to take that risk, it's because you believe in yourself 120%. And that sounds super cliche also, but it's never registered in my mind that I would fail at this yes. because I know how hard I work. I work insane hours, especially having kids. I work really weird hours. You've gotten emails from me probably at like three o'clock in the morning because yeah. I also want to be around my kids. And I'm a big believer, like this short phase of life. I know you're a new dad, right? Yes. I'm a new dad. I have a five-year-old son who's turning five and a three-year-old daughter. So yes. A boy and a girl. The, the, which I mean, you get it. There's only so much time in the day, right? And yeah. you're never going to get those years back when they're at home and they need you. And like, eventually my oldest is turning six. Like he does, he doesn't want me around as much anymore, which is like super heartbreaking. But at the same time, like, I don't, I, I've just always had those moments of the people that have kind of looked at this industry and this career as kind of a joke. And yeah. so I always like to say that I fly under the radar in terms of like yeah. success. I don't like people to know, you know, what I'm working on and what I'm doing, because I don't need the judgment. And quite frankly, like I have done fine, even with the naysayers. So um, I think it's just pushing, pushing past that and trying to shut out the noise. And that's, what I think goes back to hiring too, like hiring people that you think are going to be long-term yeah. partners with you. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Libby's been with me for almost seven years. Like you just get a gut feeling when you go to hire, like, is this person in this for the long haul with me? Or is this like a, like a transitional, you know, role for them? And that's the, inter that's the interview question. I always ask people when I'm trying to hire, do you see this as like a small step towards a larger career option for you? If so, that's awesome. But I would just like to know that upfront because I would ideally like to hire for like a very long-term amazing, you know, relationship. So I think that there's always going to be those people. And um, it's just a question of how willing you are to shut out the noise and, um, not care if they're laughing at you because yeah. they don't think it's a quote serious career. So we have a lot of hospitality professionals, restaurant owners, people that listen to the show, support the show. Um, 
what we are in entre as entrepreneurs, we're very good in real life at closing the deal, at pitching ourselves, at getting people to buy into our crazy ideas, to get funding, to convince our spouses, to you know get people fired up to, to come to our restaurant. What we find is that there's a very small percentage that are really good at the media side, the social media side, the doing it for the internet. Can you talk to the restaurant owners that are out there that are listening to this to give them the encouragement of understanding the tools that we have now to share our story so it's bigger than the village? You know, because of this platform, I mean, we have a restaurant in Spring Valley. We just opened up our second ghost kitchen. So we have three restaurants in San Diego, but we have a community of people all over the globe because we're willing to share our story. Can you speak to that restaurant owner that's that's thinking about it? They're, they're already already listening to this or watching this content. Can you give them a little bit of encouragement of why it's so important to do that? Absolutely. I look at it as the snowball effect or the butterfly effect, whichever analogy you want to use. But think about it from the perspective of a single customer that comes into your restaurant, the type of service that you offer them, the food quality that you offer them. Maybe that's obviously at the forefront of a restaurateur's mind. But you have to realize this day and age, this is the most powerful it's a cell phone that's a smartphone she's holding that's up a smartphone. like for, the, this, for those listening on the podcast yeah. you're listening through you're listening through a smartphone yes. this gets blasted out to you don't know how many millions of people yep. and i have seen restaurateurs who are friends of mine get a single negative review go viral because they do not they do not you know understand the importance of how that restaurant experience, while I may not be there with that person, it is being yep. shared with the world. So that's what I would stress. It sounds horrible, but it's almost like, it's like you're being watched, like everything. And this is goes back to like the negativity of food blogging too, because they want to come in for a free meal and they're not for this. So they're going to slam you on Yelp. And like, you know, people put up those stickers, everybody hates me on Yelp or like whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's so critically important because you don't know where that dining experience is going to land from a media perspective. And so I always thought about this too. Like I've always wanted to open a donut shop, like donuts are my favorite food on the planet. Like I've always thought like social media and marketing has to be such an astronomically important yes. part of the business plan, because yes, you can have the best food and the best customer service. But if that message is not getting relayed by the people who are visiting you in a positive light, you don't stand a chance. That is the absolute truth. So we, uh, we're fortunate we have a community on Clubhouse, which is an audio app every Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Um, we have uh, two rooms that we host, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Hopefully we can get you on when your episode drops so that people can join the Clubhouse room. We always say stay curious, get involved, ask for help. Clubhouse is an awesome platform because it allows people that watch the show, that read the content on entrepreneur.com or that listen to the podcast to actually come on stage and share your story. Um, ask you, Kelly, a question. I do want to give a shout out to Mandy Graziano. She's one of the leaders that keeps showing up. Um, she just released her book, Sales Tales, um, but she reached out to me. She's been joining the Clubhouse room. She supports this show, but she reached out to me about podcasting. And I was so blown away at how well your podcast was produced. When I, when I decided to get you on the show, I listened to a bunch of episodes and I was like, oh my gosh, what an incredible talent. Can you talk about your podcasting journey and give any encouragement and when is it coming back? If it is going to come back? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this question. So people always ask, when's the next season? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> you should ask your daughter, right? 
Yeah, I like ask the ask yeah when I'm delivering here. Um, I would love to do another season. The podcast was so fun for me because it really took me back to my journalism roots. I love interviewing people. I love hearing other people's stories. We had some unbelievable guests on there. We had Brian Malarkey, who's a you know legend yep. and a San Diego native, and um, we had some amazing, amazing guests. Nick Sharma. I mean, we just had some incredible cooks and authors and entrepreneurs. Um, it was really fun. It's a it was actually, I started three years ago, kind of when podcasts were just food podcasts specifically were starting to kind of get a little bit hotter. And um, it was, it was great. It was a different medium for us. Um, I think it's a perfect example, if I'm being 100% truthful, which I always like to be, of something that I thought would maybe be more successful from a traffic return standpoint, yep. because our pay model, I've mentioned, like we run ads on our site, like the whole goal is like get people to the site. I thought it would maybe bring more people to the site than it did. So for me, like I'm very driven by the dollar because I do this from a business standpoint. So like I appreciate if something's that not, honesty. Yeah. Was, if somebody's not making the return yep. and it costs a lot of money to produce a podcast like that. So, <laughs> um, wow. I had no idea. Yep. So I would file that under, um, things we tried that yes. were fun and, uh, learned a lot, but financially were not as lucrative as I would have hoped. So I think that was that in just a time perspective, we've got so much else going on right now, um, yep. especially with this food product, which has become a 24 seven endeavor. So um, it's just picking and choosing, you know, we've all got the 24 hours in the day, yep. you know, where do we spend our time sort of thing. And for me, I'm so passionate about the site, probably because we just have such a loyal audience there. I didn't want to feel like I was losing that connection with them to pursue something else where maybe, you know, we would have a new audience, but I don't know. It's just kind of those like things that we, we tried it. It was fun. It was relatively successful. We can always go back to it. The infrastructure's yep. there. Um, but yeah, if I'm not 110% into something, I don't do it because I know that it comes across as very um, unnatural and like yep. unwilling. So I, I need to be fully invested like I am in this product to be able to pursue like a tangential something to the site. Well, I've listened to thousands, tens of thousands of podcasts. Yours is up there with some of the best that I've ever listened to. And I know oh, there's, thank you. I know there's brands out there that would love that brands that you approve of. I mean, that's one of the cool things about this new world that we live in. It's not just a B2C content that we're making. There's brand deals that are happening for business owners that are willing to talk about things that they already use things that yes. we already use, things that we always already love. Toast is a perfect example. They're sponsor of this show. Um, Kelly, how, how can people find you? How, I mean, how, how can they interact with you? What's your favorite digital platform? And um, obviously the website is, is where we're going to go and get people to sign up for the newsletter, but any, anything cool coming up that uh, people can get excited about? Yeah. So I've got, um, other than having a baby very soon, um, <laughs> the running joke is I don't take maternity leave. This is my fourth. I feel like if you're having four kids, you should know what to expect at this point. So you'll still be seeing me. Well, you're, you're bringing <laughs> a little, you're bringing a little girl into the mix. And that's, I know. Uh, I don't know amazing. what to expect at that. Um, but yeah, Instagram, I'd say I, I answer every single email that I get. I'm happy that my email is Kelly at just I awesome. pride myself on having that direct communication with people, even if it's something as small as a recipe question or a business question. I get emails every week asking, 
How do I start in this industry? I'm always happy to pay it forward and share the resources and um, just guide people on the best path, especially just from a tech perspective, because it's very overwhelming, um, you know, to even know where to start. Um, so I've, I've helped a lot of people in that sense. So Kelly at justatastecom Instagram is at, everything is at justatast. So you can find me across the board, email me, sign up for a newsletter, um, and you will, you will always be interacting with me directly, which I like to tell people everything awesome. filters through me first and then goes from there. That's super awesome. You guys can always find me at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. If you know any other restaurant influencers, food influencers, people that are playing the game within the game, no matter where they are, it doesn't matter where they are on earth, um, their story matters and we want to feature them on the show. So please uh, give us any of those hot leads and please join us on Clubhouse. We're going to get Kelly on, um, even though she has a busy schedule, we'll figure that out, even if it's at a later, late in a couple months, whenever it is. <laughs> Um, we're going to get her on and we will let you guys know. Thank you much for, thank you so much for listening to the show and uh, please go, go to justataste.com and check out all the cool stuff that uh, Kelly's up to. Thank you. And a special thank you to our title sponsor, Toast. Toast is the primary technology partner that we use at our restaurant, Cali Barbecue. It is also the primary technology partner that so many of the guests have shared with us on this show. People like Sam, the cooking guy, Stacy Poonkinney, Jeff Alexander. So many times the guests tell us that they're using Toast when we didn't even know that going into the interview. That is why we are so grateful that they sponsor this show. We want you to win. You that listen to this show, we want you to improve your digital hospitality. Toast is built for restaurants and it's built for you. Toast is the restaurant first platform that's built for your needs, whatever your size, concept, or ambitions. Improve your bottom line with a customizable platform that's easy to learn, use, and grow with. And it meets you where you are with all the right tools for your price point. If you have any questions about Toast, please DM me at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. I will get you the link to the right Toast contact in your market. It's so important that if you listen to this show, that you win. We want you to be on this show eventually. Let us know that you heard the show, you heard about Toast, you implemented Toast, you did a Toast unboxing in your restaurant. Talk to us about how you've impacted your village, your city, your community. Share your Toast story with us. DM me today to learn more. And be sure to check out Toast.